Hello and welcome to the Liron Glickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business and marketing aspects. I am Liron Glickman, your host, a global business development consultant and a business relationship specialist. And it is rarely that I get to interview people whom their work actually affected my life. And today I'm so honored to have you with me, Dr. John Demartini. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And I've been looking forward to this interview. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for this honor. As you see, I'm even a bit excited um, because you've really been around for so many years. As soon as you're saying, you just told me that it's going to be 50 years of amazing work and impacting people as a world-leading human behavior specialist, researcher, best-selling author, educator. You've done so much. So it's really amazing um, to have you sharing a bit of the amazing richness that you have with us. So tell us, how are you today and where are you, um, where are you from in the world at the moment? I'm off the coast of Ireland. I'm on the lovely ship called The World, which is where I live. And we've been sailing. We were going along the coast of Ireland and Scotland and before that Iceland. So we we navigate and move around the world and wherever it goes, I go and and I'm here. And But now, right now, I'm right with you. So wherever, it doesn't matter where I am, it's, what matters is right here. It's here, exactly, <laughs> here and now. And it's actually amazing that you live on a, on a ship called the world because you have been traveling the world for so many years since a very young age. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it sounds like it's natural for you. Well, you know, I had a dream. Mm -hmm. I was reading a book by Albert Einstein uh, when I was 18. Yeah. And also one on Socrates. And they considered themselves not citizens of their family or community or city or state or nation mm -hmm. but they saw themselves as citizens of the world and the world meant universe in the time of socrates so i always said the universe is my playground the world is my home every country is a room in the house and every city is a platform to share my heart and soul so since 18 that's been a little yeah. you might say a, a statement that's been going in my brain every single day for 50 years and so to live here really matches what I've envisioned yeah. to travel the world. We gathered here actually to talk about the, the big topic of personal development tools to manage the startup roller coaster. And we're addressing uh, startup founders and entrepreneurs and people in the, in the tech industry that are you know, hustling every day and want to make results. But still, we all need those um, extra tools that we don't always get. And you know, I want to touch with you today about some tools for entrepreneurs in a fast-paced, digitalized world, about how to maximize our entrepreneurs' self-awareness and by that our results, practices to deal with inevitable challenges, and a bit about the secret, uh, how to manifest um, your goals. Um, now, allow me to just uh, provide a short uh, bio about you. I'll try to make it short, even though there is so much to share, um, just to make sure everybody uh, knows who's in the virtual room here with me. So Dr. John Demartini is a world, as I said, a world-leading uh, human behavior uh, specialist, researcher, best-selling author, educator, and founder of the Martini Method, um, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. Uh, he authored 40 books. I don't even get to do one. 40 books that have been translated to 39 different languages, and he's been working for 50 years um, and presented his insights alongside some of the world's most influential people as Sir Richard Branson, Deepak Chopra, and others, um, harnessing almost, yeah, or five decades of research across multiple disciplines. Um, Dr. Demartini shared his life, business, financial relationship, and leadership empowerment strategies with people and with yourself today, um, enabling them to transform their lives according to the highest values. And if I may say, you may recognize him from the movie, The Secret, that was very much uh, popular in Israel and abroad. So up until now, we're all clear. Now, I want to start by, first of all, learning more about what, what brought you to this point. And again, you, you yourself, you're an entrepreneur, you invented your own uh, category, your own uh, business. And how did you start and what drives you to do it five decades already and more? What inspired me to do what I do started at age 17. Mm -hmm. I uh, was a high school dropout. I had learning difficulties. I was living in a tent in Hawaii, surfing. 
I nearly died. I had a close brush with nearly dying. I was unconscious for a few days. In the recovery of that, I was led to a little class where an elderly gentleman was speaking. And one night, one hour, this one man inspired me to believe that I could overcome my learning problems because I, I didn't know how to read. I had speaking problems since I was one and a half years old. I, I didn't have the proper speech capacity. Mm. Reading, I was not able to do. Writing was backwards. I was dyslexic. Oh, severe. So I was a, I was a street kid. I lived in Hawaii, but I was a street kid. I didn't live at home. But the night I met this gentleman, he inspired me to such a degree that made me believe that I could overcome my learning problems and someday learn how to read and speak properly and become intelligent. Mm -hmm. I never thought I was going to be intelligent until that night. And that was the turning point. And I literally saw an epiphany, a vision that night of me standing in front of a, a massive audience and speaking. I was probably a dissociated state, but that was the dream. And I had a dream to overcome whatever it took to be able to do that. So I left Hawaii, flew back to LA, hitchhiked back to Texas, and started on a journey to try to figure out how to read. And with the help of my mom and a dictionary, I started memorizing words in a dictionary and practice pronunciating pronunciation and speech and and using it and understanding it. And I started memorizing a dictionary. I did 20,000 words over the next couple of years, 30 words a day, and started back to school after taking a GED. And all I wanted to do is learn read, write, teach. And I had a dream to travel to every country in the world and share whatever I learned that would be meaningful and inspiring to help people live a magnificent life. I wanted to live an amazing life. I wanted to help other people do the same. That was my dream and mission that I wrote out at 17. And I've been working on it for the last 50 years. And I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. Learn, read, write, teach, and travel the world. So that's what I do. It's, that was the dreaming, the starting point. And I just kept asking what worked and what didn't work each day. And I kept refining what I was doing until I got more proficient at it. And lo and behold, people started asking me questions. And I started gathering people that would like to learn. And it, and it grew across the world. So if you stay with something, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is you have a dream and is it clear and are you willing to do whatever it takes, travel whatever distance, pay whatever price to give it your service and love to bring that to the world? When you have a big enough why, the house take care of themselves. you got a big enough reason for doing it. The obstacles turn into opportunities. Amazing. Um, and I like the fact that you said there was one person who believed in you that showed you that what was already in you. But we need, we, many of us need this one person at least to believe in us. I, I had a dream that night. Mm -hmm. to be able to be that type of person for other people. Yeah. And yeah. you are, you definitely are. I'll, sh I'll share more about my experience um, with, with your books in a minute. We see uh, that as technology rapidly, you know, increases and becomes a more significant part of our lives, it kind of contradicts the fact that our brains have stayed the same for Ten thousands of years, and my question to you would be: What? How do you see? How do you find the adaptation of technology on the one hand, and how it affects the basic emotional relationship relational needs uh, in the workplace, and I guess in general? The psychologist over one hundred and twenty-five years ago, named William James, said in his Principles of Psychology book that our objective is to learn how to do the most important things and put on automatic pilot those things that are less or delegate those. Mm -hmm. And technology, even in ancient Greece, went along with teleology. Teleology was the study of meaning and purpose and technology was the vehicle of helping you fulfill meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. That's why people with advanced technologies have usually an advanced positioning in society. 
So technology is not to replace us. It's to replace the part of us that is not priority. Mm-hmm. So we can get onto the more creative, more empowering activities of our brain and our mind and give those run, run, you know, mundane things uh, mm-hmm. away. So I believe that it's only only going to advance us and give us permission to do the most creative things with the human mind as possible. That is something that the technology allows to do. And even with the computer, it's a tool for us to step on the shoulders of giants and expand further. So I see it as a, as a great gift. Some people use it as a distraction, but I say take command. It, that's not because of the technology, it's because of their own prioritization. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I'm a very much, I use technology for my mission and I'm very grateful for my technology to help me fulfill my mission. But some people let, let it distract them, you know, social medias and things of this nature. I, I only take command of it. I, you can either live by, by design or distraction. Yeah. And if you live by design, technology advances you and gives you incremental momentum to do something extraordinary with the world. If you lo- live by distraction, then technology can allow other people to occupy space and time in your mind instead of your own dreams. So it's a it's it's neutral. It's how we use it. I think that's make makes the difference. Mm-hmm. It's important to be to be aware of how you use it exactly and make sure it doesn't take o- over your time. Which I think that's again that's that's a big challenge for many. But um, but definitely, as you said, this is it, it should serve us. I guess the original thought was for it to serve us. And we should use it this way. And um, well, the the wheel the wheel served human beings, and and uh, that was a major technological advancement compared to what we were doing, dragging things. So I, if I look at the people who have used technology wisely, mm-hmm. they are in a competitive field where they're ahead of people that don't have that technology. So I, I, I have gratitude for the technologists that came up with the solutions. There is a lovely gentleman that lives here on the ship that has 4,000 patents, for over 4,000 patents, the most patented individual in the world. Wow. And conversing with him, which I have the opportunity to do almost daily, uh, is enlightening, to say the least, inspiring and um, invigorating and innovating because he, he, he's constantly looking at how he can serve human beings, serving humanity, and pursuing challenges in the world and finding solutions. If we fill our day with pursuing challenges that inspire us, our day doesn't fill up with challenges that don't. And I think the universe, the magnificent world we live in, is constantly offering us feedback Mm -hmm. to guide us to our most authentic pursuit, our most meaningful, inspiring, and authentic pursuit, what we love deeply. And every sign and symptom that goes on our physiology, psychology, sociology, business, etc., is literally a symptom to guide us back to our most equitable, authentic state of being, where we are the most creative and most contributive, mm-hmm. where we have the most sustainable, fair exchange with every human being we meet. So I believe technology has assist us on that pursuit. And solving problems and building technologies to do that are usually the people that leave their polymathic influence in the world and contribute vastly and become fortunate. Thank you for that. And, and you mentioned about really living through your uh, authenticity and to, I would say, maximize on your potential or the reason that you came here to the world. And, and I see that in your talks, you, you talk often about the importance of connecting to our core values or, or to the values that, that, again, that leads us. And if you can share with me, uh, how can entrepreneurs, uh, again, in business, the, the find, uh, define better or, or use their set of values to overcome their daily roller coaster and challenges? Well, every human being, moment by moment lives by a set of priorities, set of values, things that are most to least important in their life. And this set of values is fingerprint specific. It's unique to them. No two people have the same set. And whatever's highest on that list of values is intrinsic and they're spontaneously inspired to do it. Kind of like a young boy who loves his video games. He doesn't have to be reminded or motivated or extrinsically driven to do it. He intrinsically does it. And this is where we have our most powerful uh, capacity to be a leader and to uh, create 
outcomes. But as we go down that list of values, it becomes more extrinsic. And so we end up needing motivation. But I, I've said for 40-something years that motivation is a symptom, never a solution for human beings. It's a symptom that we're not delegating lower priority things and we're trying to do things that aren't really deeply meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. But if we prioritize our life as an entrepreneur and stick to our core competencies that we can't wait to get up and tap dance to work to do, that is a spontaneous action for us, this mm -hmm. is where we excel. And if we hire people that are also inspired to do what we want to delegate and that's intrinsic to them, the things we want to delegate, we surround ourselves with people that are engaged and empowered and we don't have to micromanage or motivate. And then we're free to do what we're most creative to do. And they're free to do what they're creative to do. And we have efficiencies and effectiveness. So I'm a firm believer that the hierarchy of one's values dictates their destiny. Mm -hmm. And if they're wise and know what their values are and structure their life accordingly, they are now have Ricardo's competitive advantage and, and advancement. So I'm a firm believer in identifying those values. And I worked on my website, I put together a value determination process that's free and complimentary and private that can assist people in taking a look at what their life demonstrates, not their fantasies. Mm -hmm. Many people have fantasies about what they think is important to them, but what their life actually demonstrates, that's an intrinsic drive in them so they can start to prioritize their life accordingly and excel. Mm -hmm. Our natural born leadership emerges if we do. And we all have that inside us. We just don't access it because we're trying to subordinate to influences on the outside and fit in instead of being willing to be unique and stand out. Many of us, I mean, you know, look at our neighbors and want to be the same. I can share that here in Israel in the startup nation. If I see my neighbor who just sold his startup, then why, if he did it, why can I do it? But this is not the main reason for people to become entrepreneurs. It's many times to change the world, to find a solution obviously that that really helps people. Um, but I do, I think when I when I started again reading more about your values, your emphasis on values, I think it's so important to stop, to try and stop and go try to understand what your core values, as you said, how you choose the right people around you. Um, it's definitely can can make a difference for the best. Well if you if you identify what's truly intrinsically driving you, mm -hmm. you've got a competitive advantage, as I've said. Yeah. If you look at how you fill your space, if you look at how you spend your time most, if you look at what energizes you most, if you look at what you spend your money on most, if you look at where you're most organized, most disciplined, if you look at what you think about, visualize, and affirm inside your brain most about how you would want your life that shows evidence of coming true, if you look at what you want to converse about most, if you want to look at what inspires you and brings tears to your eyes, thinking about most, if you look at what you have as persistent goals that you actually are achieving most, and if you look at what you can't wait to learn most, you'll find a pattern that is a reflection of what is authentic to what your life demonstrates. I've asked people, how many want to be financially independent? And they all put their hands up and their feet up in the air, but only 1% do it. And the reason being is because they fantasize about the lifestyle of the rich and famous, yeah. and they have a desire yeah. to consume, uh, you know, consumables and spend their money on that, that go down in value instead of buying assets mm -hmm. and buying things that serve people. And so they, they wonder why they're, you know, they're banging their head against the wall trying to get somewhere because they, they're not really clear about what's really true. Yeah. And as long as they have yeah. a value on consumable purchases instead of actually contributing and building assets, financial independence is not likely. So knowing what's really valuable and structuring your life according to it congruently is an essential for fulfillment and great momentum building and incremental momentum building achievements. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm interested in helping people get authentic to themselves and structure their lives intelligently instead of impulsively. Thank you. And, and I want to go even one, I think few layers even deeper to um, your best-selling uh, book and method, The Breakthrough Experience. Now, I think it was maybe around 2006, I came back from, I lived in Australia, I came back to Israel, and I remember I had your book, and I have read through the book on the, on the long, during the long flight. And you have, there are some really provoking questions that, that bring 
the unconscious to the conscious mind. And kind of, I remember it allowed me to become more, more aware of some of my blind spots. And even I discovered things that I didn't really like to discover. Like if the things that I don't like with someone who's closer to me, these are actually the things that I'm also doing. It was a really, really profound experience for me to, to go through uh, your, your book, your book uh, during that, that time. And I think it's so important for anybody, let alone if you run a business, to understand or to be aware of your blind spot or you're bringing your unconscious to your conscious. So with that in mind, if you could share more on this concept and maybe give a viewpoint to the entrepreneurs who listen to us, um, how to open, to be more aware of, of this aspect on, in their life. Thank you. Um, thank you for reading the book. Thank you. If we're, you know, if we're walking through a mall and we meet somebody that we look up to, we are conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides. And we activate our amygdala, which has an impulse to seek out. And we're drawn towards that individual. Mm -hmm. If um, And then as we get to know that individual, we eventually discover some downsides. Most everybody's been in a relationship at first where they have a little infatuation. And then they find out, ooh, there's a lot that goes with it. <laughs> and they were blind to the downsides. Now, your intuition is whispering to you the downsides mm -hmm. to make you see both sides so you can be mindful. But you're fooled by an infatuation and an amygdala impulse to seek the pleasure, a hedonistic pursuit. If we meet somebody that we look down on, we're conscious of the downsides and unconscious of the upsides. And here we have an instinct to avoid. And again, if we get to know that individual, we'll eventually discover some upsides to them that we our first impression and our subjective bias misinterpreted. And our intuition is trying to say, well, there's got to be a meaning and reason why this individual's in our life. Let's find the, the upsides. Mm -hmm. So our intuition is constantly trying to pull the downsides to what we're ignorant of the downsides of and the upsides to what we're ignorant of the upsides to, to bring us mindfully. Mm -hmm. It's trying to help us bring it back into balance. Now, the quality of your life is basically quite the questions you ask. If you ask questions that bring unconscious information conscious, Instead of having the amygdala distractions with impulses and instincts distract your life, you become present and mindful and fully conscious. And here is where you're poised and present and purposeful and prioritized and patient and productive. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're fully objective, not subjectively biased with these misinterpretations, but actually seeing the, the whole, not to part. And that gives people a competitive advantage. That allows them not to emotionally react with systems one thinking where you emotionally react before you think, but it actually allows you to think before you emotionally react. And that gives you foresight and strategic planning and inspired vision and execution of plans and the calming down, you might say, and dampening and governing of the amygdala's distractions. And so now you're a focused individual and inspired. So my Breakthrough Experience book was designed to create a science on how to, you might say, liberate yourself from the distractions and allow you to be present with the things that are inspirations. And that's what the book was about. And that's what the my, my program, The Breakthrough Experience, is about. It's there to help people break through those distractions so they can be inspired by their life. There's no reason not to be inspired by your life. It's absolutely magnificent. And the magnificence of who we actually are is far greater than any fantasies we may impose on ourselves. Yeah. And and so yeah. allowing the external world to run us is different than allowing the calling within to run us. When the voice and the vision on the inside is louder than all the opinions on the outside, you begin to master your life. So that's what I'm interested in. That's what the book is about. That's what the method's for. You mentioned the emotional part. Obviously, it's a big part that manages most or all of us in many ways. And I know as myself, as, a, as business owners, and also from my conversations with different founders and entrepreneurs, you know, eventually when you go to such endeavor to become your, your, to have your own business, you should have, or at least me and many of my colleagues have this burning desire. I remember for me, I just felt the fire here and I had to do more and, and, and achieve more and, and it's never enough. And sometimes this fire burns you, even though if, you know, you've done so much, you still sometimes feel like you're not enough or you feel the, um, the uh, frustration and pain of you want to do things, but they don't get along in the pace that you wish. So what, keep, what tips can you give us 
to manage our emotions uh, through this journey of, of life, through this journey of business? Well, I define an emotion as an imbalanced perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're if you're conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides, you're going to have these positive emotions. If you're conscious of the downside and unconscious of the upside, you're going to have these negative emotions. But when you're conscious of both sides, you transcend the emotional vicissitudes and you become present. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's there's what I call transcendental feelings. Emotions are polarized feelings, mm-hmm. but there's transcendental feelings that are the synthesis of those. And um, let me let me give you an analogy here, a little story here. In the 90s, 1990s, <clears throat> Peter Lynch, in his book, One Up on Wall Street, mm-hmm. said after he did his quantitative and qualitative analysis and technical analysis on stocks to pick for Fidelity, um, Hunter Fund or Magellan Fund, he, um, he said, okay, now that we've picked it out, let's go visit the companies and let's go see what the companies are really doing. So he would actually fly and visit the companies. And he found there were six things that he was looking for in the people in the companies to make his final decision to buy into the company. Mm-hmm. They were grateful for their job. They loved what they were doing. They were inspired by the vision. They were enthused in their activity. They were energized and not excited, but enthused. Mm-hmm. That means they were poised. They were certain about their skill because it was highest on their value. And they were present with the customer or whatever they were doing. They were present, engaged, mm-hmm. high engagement. If he sees that, which are all the six transcendental feelings, mm-hmm. they're not polarized emotions where they're super excited and excited and manic. They're not depressed. Mm-hmm. They're not polarized. They're present. Yeah. When you see those feelings, You've transformed emotions into a transcendental state. And that's an unstoppable state. When you see that, you know, if you invest in that, it's going to appreciate value. Gratitude is the key that opens up the gateway of the heart and allows the love to come out. That's why he knew to invest in that. Because if people aren't grateful for their job and they're not loving what to do, they can't compete on the world stage. Mm-hmm. So I'm not interested in polarized emotions I'm interested in training people on how to see both sides of things and come into a synthesized state where they're grateful for their job. Mm-hmm. If they're living by their highest priority value, they love what they're doing. I love teaching, researching, writing. I don't need to be motivated. No one's ever had to motivate me in 50 years to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't need motivation. I delegate everything that I required motivation for to people who would love to do it. So I don't have to do what I don't love to do. And that's a very powerful position if you're a CEO or a manager to give yourself permission to do that. So I'm, I'm taking emotions. If I see something that I'm emotive about and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it, I look for the downsides to calm it down. Mm-hmm. When I was in practice many years ago, many years ago, 40 years ago, if I had a super high day where I was manic and I went home, I noticed my spouse would bring me back down because the purpose of marriage is, is to bring you back into authenticity. And if I had a down day, she lifted me up. And I noticed that. So I realized instead of having the world on the outside had to bring me back into authenticity, why don't I just be disciplined and do it myself? So if I had this manic day where I thought I was great and proud and cocky about what I'd done, I asked a series of questions. Who did I not thank? What staff member did I not depreciate? What name did I not remember? What procedure did I overlook? And I would humble myself back down to calm my manic episode where I'm focused on how great I am back into what is my mission and services. And if I had a a down day, I would ask, who did I serve? What did I do? And I would re-regulate myself and center myself. So when I went home, I was grateful. I was centered. Mm -hmm. And the stability of my business was stable before it was volatile. So emotions can lead to volatilities. As Warren Buffett says, don't, if you can't manage your emotions, don't expect to manage money. And Robert Greene said the same thing. Don't expect to be a leader until you can manage your emotions. Because in the amygdala doesn't make leaders. Yeah. The executive function, yeah. the forebrain with inspired vision and foresight, that plan, as Alec McKenzie said, is what leads to great leaders. 
So this is definitely something that is needs to, to be managed and even be taught, as you said, um, because eventually this, I like what you, the, the quote you gave of Warren Buffett, if you can't manage your emotion, how could you manage money? Makes a lot of sense. So right now we're recording this interview in actually, um, a bear market. Uh, many uh, big companies are having experiencing layoffs and slowdown in investment and much uncertainty for big and for smaller companies. And in such circumstances that, again, come and go in business as business do, um, what source of, of confidence or resilience can you suggest to entrepreneurs to deal with such complicated times when, when they come? Well, I'll give an analogy. In the stock market, there's, a, there's an up and down movement in most stocks and most indices. <clears throat> but overall, it gives rise to a mean. If you look at an Ibbotson chart, you'll see it has a mean, an average return, small cap maybe 12%, mid cap maybe you know, 10%, large cap maybe 8%, this kind of thing. So when it goes up, you make money on the past. When it goes down, you make money on the future. But if you dollar cost average, you get the average mean. So if you're addicted to the high when it's up, you're going to be subdicted and pained when it goes down. But what's interesting is when you go up, you depurpose and start taking things for granted. When it goes down, you repurpose and get back on priority. You tend to go off priority when you're above because you think, oh, I've arrived. That's why pride before the fall. But when you go back, you go back to priority. You trim off the fat, as they say. You put on the fat when you're above. And you trim the fat when you're down below and it's teaching you not to allow yourself to go way up because it's going to hurt when it goes down but to stabilize yourself uh southwest airlines did not allow themselves to go into the manic phase and overbuild planes and then have to lay people off it stabilized itself every time you and others are living by their highest priority and most engaged they're most stable and they're most creative and innovative and they're most authentic. So when it's down times, this is an opportunity for us to make sure we're really caring about the customer, really looking at what's priority, really looking at what is actually working and not working, and adjusting to the market changes, because the market's constantly changing, and caring enough about humanity. It forces us to care about human beings and go out of our narcissistic assumptions and go into an altruistic side to make sure we're meeting people's needs. Anytime we think we're successful, we're already starting to lose contact with our, our customer. Anytime we think we're failure, we go back. So I'm not interested to be a success or a failure. I'm interested to be a man on a mission who's stably, steadily dedicated to having sustainable fair exchange, which reduces the volatilities and allows maximum resilience. No, it, it reminds me on our, uh, on our earlier call, um, I shared with you the sentence that for me is, is, is a guiding light in my life that Zig Ziglar, I think, uh, shared with you personally, that he said that if you help others get what they want, that's the most important thing, then as a byproduct, you get what you want. And well, that's what you're saying. When I, I, I do quite a few seminars, I, I have up to 80 programs that I teach. Mm -hmm. And if I meet people's needs, there's a, there's a demand and then I have a supply. If I don't meet people's needs, I've got a supply without a demand mm -hmm. and there's a fluctuation. So it's, I have a, a accountability and responsibility to find out who is my meet, who I'm the, the, who's my audience yeah. and meet their needs. That, that, that is, if you, if you try to think that you're more important than the customer, you get humbled. Yeah. If you think you're less than customer, you sacrifice your profits. If you make it equal, you have sustainable fair exchange. That's why equanimity within us, mm -hmm. not pride or shame, but equanimity within us and equity between us is maximum performance. Mm -hmm. And so all the symptoms in a business are nothing more than feedback mechanisms, homeostatic feedback mechanisms to guide us back to equanimity within us, authenticity and equity between us to have reflective awareness and not deflect and think you're too proud or too humble to meet people's needs but but actually caring about human beings is a science and it's also a, a spiritual path for some because then they found what they're inspired by and their mission of being of service mm -hmm. the people that are really committed committed to fulling of service aren't interested in a quick uh, get rich scheme they're interested in a long-term uh, contribution 
and your fulfillment life is based on that. Seneca, the Roman poet, beautifully said it. He said, you measure an individual by their most distant ends. Mm -hmm. And the ones who have the greater magnitude of space and time in their minds and the goals that they have are the people who are patiently persistent and keep looking at everything as a feedback to refine their actions daily towards a long-term mission. And I'm a firm believer that that's, that's a key to great achievement. My observation, consulting with people that have done extraordinary things, mm -hmm. that's the attitude they have. So actually, it's, it's a great segue for my next question to you, because again, coming from Israel, and if you look at uh, the state of Israel, how it was established, and even the Jewish uh, people, we, we had to survive, we had to build ourselves all over again during history, which is some of the components that actually enabled Israel to become a startup nation, because when the startup founders come, he has this survival, this, this you have no other choice but, but making it happen. And through that path, you are actually failing. And we kind of created this culture that I would say praises failure, praises failure. Like we don't like to fail, but if we fail, we see it as another way to learn and to become better uh, and to succeed in our next uh, endeavor. And that is our the Israeli uh, point of view of, uh, the Israeli tech point of view of failure. But I would like to know what is your approach towards failure? Well, I, I, I think failure is our friend, not an enemy. And fear is a friend, not an enemy. Because it's going to guide you to refinement mm -hmm. and eventually mastery. The addiction to success makes it painful to think of failure. I'm not attached to success. I'm not attached to failure. I, I find that those are distractions. I, in fact, I, I think if you if you think you're successful, that means you have a short vision and little experience. And if you think you're failure, that's because you're comparing it to that fantasy that you had. But if I, if you see that both are necessary, if the temperature goes up or down, the thermostat resets it back into the center. Mm -hmm. So the second you think you're above and proud, that's not your authentic self. And the second you think you're failure, that's shame. That's not your authentic self. They're just feedback systems to guide you into authentic pathways. People that think they're successful, you tend to set too big a goal in too short a time frame to be humbled. And people that are failure tend to set too small a goal in too long a time frame to, to, to succeed again. They're just feedback systems. So most people are trying to avoid one, like the amygdala, and seek the other. And they're caught in an endless reverberating cycle. And they're bipolar almost as a result of it. Mm. If you are a man on a mission or a woman on a mission, and you're focused down the center, and you see both of them are necessary components to achieve, you don't get a gold medal without both. But Elon Musk didn't go and get his uh, you know, spaceship to go and land perfectly without about 100 different explosions. Those are absolutely essential components. Uh, so I, I see them as feedback mechanisms guiding us to our most authentic pursuit and making sure we're setting real objectives in real time with real strategies and they're guiding us. And if we don't, and we set up a fantasy, and then we end up having to fall, it's teaching us how to set real objectives and real things that have real strategies to get real results. So I don't see it as anything to be frightened of or anything to avoid. I see it as nothing but a feedback system to guide us to something magnificent. Thank you. Amen. And I want to touch on the intuition aspect of work. You know, we all live in a fast-paced world and sometimes, many times, we tend to act intuitively uh, just to get, you know, get going and get things done. How, how would you uh, uh, suggest to manage intuition in our favor? Well, I've been studying intuition for about 45 years. <laughs> and I, I'm amazed at how much misinformation is out there about the term. So I'd like to maybe clarify that. We have a gut impulse, which is a mechanism to seek prey, to eat. We have a gut instinct to avoid predator, to um, not be eaten. And those are gut feelings. And we literally feel them down in the gut because the duodenum in the small intestine um, is kind of like a, a gut brain, an enteric brain. And they're there for survival mechanisms, not thrival, but survival mechanism. And so people say, well, I got a gut instinct to avoid this and a gut impulse to do that. 
that's those are impulses and those are survival and they're guaranteed to be subjectively biased and distorted in interpreting reality and so they're usually unwise to let them accept in emergency situations then we have a homeostatic mechanism called an interoceptive system in the brain that is designed to bring us back into balance and objectivity so when we have an instinct to avoid something we simultaneously have an intuition to try to find the benefits of it so we don't have to avoid it. And if we have something, we have an impulse we got to do, the intuition is pointing out the downsides to calm it down so we don't have it distract us. So intuition is actually trying to guide us back to our authentic self where we're objective to make wise decisions. It's a sixth sense, or in some cases, the eighth sense now, that's what they call it. So most people have confused it with gut instinct and impulse but it's not. They're actually reversed. They're one's a negative feedback system, bringing us to homeostasis and making us make wise decisions. That's intuition, the true intuition. That's why Einstein talked about how important it was to be able to discern solutions to major mathematical problems. But me, people have confused it with gut instinct and impulse. And they're saying, well, I, I had this gut instinct and my intuition said this. They're not the same. If you're out there and you had nothing but prey, and you had abundance of prey without a predator, you'd end up gluttonous, overweight, fat, and loose fitness. If you had a predator without a prey, you'd be emaciated and starved and lose fitness. But if you put the two together, the prey and predator in balance, maximum growth and development occurs at the border of support and challenge, prey and predator. And intuition is trying to get you in that center point where maximum performance occurs. And so you want to learn the distinction between gut instincts and impulses and intuition and use the intuition wisely to calm down and mitigate the emotions and bring us back into something that's objective, that's inspired. So it's a very powerful science mastering intuition if it's done properly. It's just so much misinformation about, mis about intuition out there. Yeah, wow, thank you. And I and I also invite our listeners to go on your on your YouTube channel where you explain explain more about uh, this concept of intuition. Now, if we're talking about again intuition, the mind, let's um uh, almost summarize with a question about this the movie The Secret. You were one of the uh, top experts that uh, were featured in the 2006 The Secret movie. Um, and um obviously talks about how thoughts become things and and even more uh, than that. And you know, I think eventually when we, me, entrepreneurs, many people choose to come to business because they want to make a difference in the world. They want to do good. They want to leave um, a certain legacy on the planet. And how can they use those, those, the, the power of the mind to, to leave this mark in the world and achieve their goals? Well, I, I believe that the movie was obviously impacted a lot of people in the world. But I do believe the, the movie had to filter out a lot of great information that was originally filmed by a lot of the people that were in it. <clears throat> I think almost everybody that was in the movie said afterwards, they, they did seminars, the secret behind the secret left out of the secret. <laughs> and one of them was uh, persistent action that is really congruent with who you are. And really, that's something that you're pursuing that's truly important to you. A lot of people go after fantasies instead of real objectives. But there is a science of setting a goal that is aligned and congruent with what you value most because your innermost dominant thought does create your outermost tangible reality and you spontaneously think about what's really most important to you. So if you do, you don't have to be motivated or reminded to think about it. It's just that dominates your thought. So I, my, my thoughts are dominated on teaching around the world. I don't have to be remote, motivated or reminded to do it. Or, oh, forgot to do my reminder on that. So if you set a goal that is congruent with your highest values, you will automatically think about it. You will automatically get blood, glucose, and oxygen into the forebrain, the medial prefrontal cortex, which is the executive center, which is connected to the visual center in the octopus, which gives you inspired vision. You see it. One of the signs you're congruent is you can see it in a vision. So if you think about it, and you visualize it, and you focus on every finer detail, enough where you can articulate, articulate what your vision is fluently, where somebody else could hear it and they could see it in their mind by you saying it. Now you're articulating and affirming it 
verbally and clarity. If you do, you'll activate the, the six transcendental feelings, gratitude, love, inspiration, enthusiasm, certainty, and present, which are the magnetic feelings that attract people, places, things, ideas, and events into our life to create outcomes. When we do, when we're in that state, we spontaneously want to write it down and capture what's in our mind and plan and start to write out a vision and, 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 and a, a plan for that objective. If we write that plan down and get objective and clear on space and time horizons of when we're going to do it, and we then spontaneously want to act on it, if we're working on what's highest in our value, our awareness is maximal in that area, our gratitude is highest, our resilience is highest, our patience is highest, and we increase the probability of achieving our outcome by following what's truly deeply meaningful in our pursuit. And we use our brain in areas of our brain to master that pursuit. And we become masters of destiny, not victims of history by simply giving ourselves permission to do so. Wow. So you say that's, that's the formula. That's the formula. That's what we need to focus on. Um, that is a formula. I, I call it the manifestation formula. That's yeah. uh, It is a formula. I had a conversation probably 40 years ago with Wayne Dyer and uh, we had a discussion on how do we manifest thoughts into things. Mm -hmm. And there's a new movie out called How uh, Thoughts into Things, how to, you know, how thoughts become things. It's a sequel to The Secret. And uh, I was able to delineate that in more detail in that movie. So thank you. So definitely I'll, uh, I'll try to find, is this the, the other uh, movie you mean? The second movie? It's another movie yeah. that, that's a sequel to The Secret. Yeah, it's not by Rhonda Byrne. It's by Doug Vermeeren. That's uh, a fantastic little sequel to it, and it, but it goes into more depth and making, make, putting more emphasis on action okay. and clarity. But it's a it's a sequel. Thank you for for that. Now, two more quick questions before we we have to finish. Um, you know, you've been you've you've done so many, and and you know, in fifteen more years, I just have some numbers around in front of me. So you have studied over two hundred and ninety nine academic disciplines throughout the last fifty years. Read over thirty thousand books. Uh, taught more than ten, more than sorry, one hundred thousand students. Authored for forty books and more and more and more. I'm sure. One important question after this great knowledge that you have. What do people want? Do you have the answer what people want? Well, as I stated earlier, every human being has a unique set of priorities, of values that are like fingerprints to them. Yeah. <clears throat> and whatever's highest on that value is what they're pursuing most. Mm -hmm. And that could be to raise a beautiful family of beautiful children. That could be to create an entrepreneurial enterprise that changes the, the, the world. It could be to go to, to Mars. It could be to be an academic and get a Nobel Prize. It could be to be an Olympic medalist. It could be to travel the world. Uh, it, it could be anything that is most deeply meaningful to them because the world needs the full spectrum, the full bouquet of all expressions of the potential within human values. If everybody was the same, one would not be, <laughs> the rest would not be necessary. So Everybody has a unique set of hierarchy of values and whatever that is, whatever is highest is what is most meaningful, most fulfilling to them. And so to me, that's that's the key to a fulfilled life is identifying what that is and giving yourself permission in a world that wants you to fit in, to be unique and stand out pursuing what's deeply meaningful to you and be an unborrowed visionary instead of a borrowed one. And to not sit in the shadows of anyone, but to stand on the shoulders of giants and to realize that whatever you see in others that they've done that's extraordinary, you couldn't see it if you didn't have it inside yourself. And it's in the form that's unique to you. Find out what that is inside you that's meaningful and stick to that. And learn the art of prioritizing and delegating and let go of everything else but what you want. Otherwise, you will not get what you want in life. Pure gold, pure gold. Dr. Demartini, one last question. What can we wish for you? What can we wish for me? Yeah, what would you <laughs> love to wish for you? you? What can I wish, wish you? Well, I love teaching, researching, writing, and traveling the world. I feel so blessed to be able to do that. 
Um, I just would like to continue to do that and continue to reach ever greater numbers of people, go to every country. I still haven't reached every country in the world. I've spoken in 176 countries now, and I, I would still like to get the rest of them. So just that that I have the physical vitality and, and uh, you know, I'm 68. I'm, I'm working towards uh, doing that to at least 100. I hope to be doing a seminar. I've already got scheduled to do a seminar at 100, so I'm, I'm going to continue to do what I do, and I love doing it. That's that's doing what you love and loving what you do every day is the is one of the keys of it all. So that's that's all I ask. Just continue to do what I do. It's definitely a reflect from the, the love from everything you just shared with us today. This has been amazing, and I, I really appreciate, again, you coming here and sharing your great smarts with, with the audience. And how can they uh, contact you? If they'd like to uh, you know, find out what I'm doing, all they have to do is go to my website, drdmartini.com, drdmartini.com. And that value application, that value thing is such a gift if they would take the time to go through that. It's eye-opening. And it'll help them uh, navigate through their life more effectively. But if, if you want to find out what I'm doing, just go to the, the media page or the events page or whatever and just browse and let your heart be your guide. And um, yeah, because I love doing what I do. I, I teach a class called The Breakthrough Experience. I've done it 1,154 times now. Mm -hmm. I love doing presentations. And uh, so they can take advantage of that. And there's thousands of YouTubes and interviews and things that they can take advantage of if they'd like to. There is such a richness of information. And again, I will share next to this video a few more links, your website, also uh, the workbook on empowerment, which called Seven Steps to Expand to the Next Level of Empowerment, which is demartini.fm forward slash download if you want to do it now. But I'll also share the links right next to this uh, video and also social media. And, and I, I'd like to also say I just finished and launched a new book this last week uh, called uh, the seven secret treasures Mother. on how to empower how to empower all seven areas of your life as masterfully as possible so if that's of interest to people that's brand new that just came out i will definitely put the link to uh to the purchase also next to this video um congratulations on that um and again thank you so much for taking the time it's been it's been amazing thank, thank you you're the one you're the one giving me the opportunity to do what i love so thank you so much and um, thank you for allowing me to be with you today. My honor. So thank you so much, Dr. John Demartini from on board the ship, the world somewhere next to Ireland, world leading uh, human behavior specialist, researchers, best-selling author and educator. Again, it has been a great honor. And thank you for watching the Leron Glickman Show. You can subscribe to the channel and leave your comment. And of course, contact Dr. John Demartini for more information. And thank you and all the best. Thank you.